It's the 29th of June, 2020. Hello again, everyone. It's been a while, I know, but now it's time to fake news till you make news. This week, we're speaking to Joe Jorgensen, the presidential nominee of the Libertarian Party, to hear her case for why it's time for America to declare independence from the duopoly. Let's get to it. I'm Boston, and this is Boston Makes the News. One hundred percent truth. Balanced reporting. No apologies. This is BMN, America's greatest newsroom. This episode is brought to you by Liberty Pilsner. Brewed in the place where beer can be made cheapest, Liberty Pilsner can be sold to you in large quantities for crisp, clean flavor and a shockingly high alcohol concentration by volume. Please consume Liberty responsibly. More from Liberty Pilsner later. Let's get to it. COVID is back, America. Really, it never left fact of the matter here is that the states have loosened regulations and testing as we began to phase back into a more normal sense of living. The result of this has been more diagnoses and active cases popping back up. Some might say, you know, originally they blamed Memorial Day. Uh, I don't know if that's really the the real reason. Uh, presidential rallies could absolutely be a case in the situation with the Trump rally in Tulsa. Absolutely makes sense to me. Uh, political unrest and gatherings. They've said multiple times there's been articles from from very well, strongly backed news media sources that say that there is absolutely no tie between the giant gatherings of large amounts of people that are wearing and not wearing masks in public, not that those necessarily are a guarantee of safety or prevent transmission. The video coverage that I'm sure you've seen shows people very close together when it's not necessary, wearing a mask or not is a mixture, groups in the tens of thousands supposedly in some places running, sweating, contacting each other. And the media says there's no data correlating these cases in these areas to protests. But, you know, many of those would have just gone home out of the state they lived in. So it's really hard to tell. But to kind of recap on some of the stuff we know, some best practices to keep in mind as we go back into dealing with coronavirus again from the more relaxed state that we were. Remember, elderly and pre-existing conditions are the most affected. uh, And many places have closed and held off their reopenings until even later than anticipated. I would suggest personally, and this is what, you know, some people are actually having me do because of work, is I self-evaluate daily with a medically derived evaluation. So, you know, I the things I do are what, you know, what medically I've been told to do, but I check every day and pay attention to how I'm feeling, symptoms, any reason why I might be feeling sick. Um, I pay attention to who I may have contacted and trace myself because I don't want other people having to trace for me. And I shoulder what I can to protect others. So a lot of people say, you know, they they see, you know, wearing a mask is some 
terrifying breach of rights and, you know, you probably could make a case, but I think I've said this before. I see I see this thing as something that's fairly easy for me to do. If it's harder for you to do, then it, it's 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 a case by case, right? But for me, it's not hard to do. I just keep them around where I need them and people are happier and feel safer. So, that's really kind of important. And if you do end up at one of these protests, rallies, public gatherings, anything like that, it'd be really important to make sure that you are doing what you can to prevent transmission because we know some people are asymptomatic and can carry this disease without feeling symptoms at all. Now that's of course proving a negative is really hard, but you know, and it and it's getting kind of hard sometimes to trust these institutions that tell us one thing or another and you start to see where they might have motivations to say things that are benefiting one group or another and it makes it hard to trust them the way that they say. And so it's really important that we keep in mind the things that are important to us as individuals and keep in mind that other people are going to be doing the same and that small things we can do, you know, even larger things if you're ready and prepared to do it, uh, are good things to do. So as, you know, if you look at the some of the raw data, you get some kind of differing, uh, differing remarks. So last week I saw that uh, there were 38,000 cases roughly in one day. And I can remember back to a time when America was being told it was terrible and did the wrong thing because we had 80,000 cases. And so now we have half of that in one day. You know, that it, and it didn't have anywhere near the same reaction. It, it, it makes it tough to feel the, the strain and the, the, the importance that some people would want me to have when we freak out over two months giving us 80,000 cases and then completely brush off supposedly seeing a spike of, of you know, around half that in a few days of starting to restrict and tighten and ramp back up into more testing again. We let slip, we're going to let a bunch of cases go undiagnosed, and when we start testing again, we're going to find them all. So being caught up in the, you know, moment-to-moment -moment numbers of this, it may well serve, I think, honestly, to to um, make people worry about stuff that's very difficult to prove when realistically, you know, you should be thinking about who's close to you and how to protect them and how to be how to be a good person in society as best you can so other people don't feel like they have to be scared and so we can all get about our lives as best we can. Well, you know what's going to happen is, you know, a lot of people are starting to consider going back to stay-at-home orders and... You know, as much as I would hate that, and I mean, I do, I do hate it. It's something that would be traumatic for me and mine. Um, you know, it'd be hard on my family. It'd be hard on me. And so I don't want to see that happen. But, uh, you know, as, that, as, as we approach that kind of situation being something that could be more realistic, uh, it's really important that we show those who would flex their power muscles on us that we don't need them. And show them that their actions of these these strong pressing downs on us are things we've already done and really are just serving them to show that these are really their actions, not our own. They don't need to use us as reasons to keep their seats if they're slow to act, if they're acting improperly. They can't use the fact that we did what we need to do as a reason to glorify themselves.
Cities around the country have been shaken to their core as people debate the value in maintaining historical statues, while other more direct groups have just begun tearing them down and defacing them on the grounds of out-and-out racism. These statues include mostly Confederate officers and sympathizers, but as the time changed and the demands placed on the all by the sum have become more stringent. Groups like Vice News are calling for Mount Rushmore to be destroyed because the people featured are problematic for today's day and age. A statue of George Washington was destroyed because he was a slave owner. Jefferson statues have been threatened for the same reasons. Sounds very cut and dry, but I urge you to read the Wikipedia pages for George Washington and slavery and Thomas Jefferson and slavery. There seems to be no more nuance to the position than just that. So what about this definition of problematic for today's day and age? You know, it's it seems confusing to me. If you look back at the time that these statues were created, what was problematic then is different, right? So that, which was not problematic then, is problematic now. And that that's okay. The idea that the American paradigm can shift and people can start to think in different ways, and as a whole we evolve... Uh, that's that's something that, that I understand to be one of the greatest benefits of a free and open society. But um, the nature of that said free and open society to, I mean, the, it's almost like self-tyrannizing. I mean, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. I don't, I don't really know what word to use to describe it. But when you know that the way that we have gone has changed the way that we see something that we saw in the past as, you know, fairly normative now is something that is problematic to quote vice news. And so what do you do? You know, do you, do you take an action on that and demand that that part of history be de-emphasized, removed, you know, defiled in those cases? Like what, is that the, is that the best method to solving the problem? That's, that's something that I'd like to hear more from you guys about. Um, you know, you ask the question, what happens when someone 50 years down the line looks back and determines that something that you took for granted was inherently evil or problematic and begin excising you from their history? If the press, dis- if the, you know, if the present destroys the past, the future is destroying you. And now you end up in a 1984 style Orwellian nightmare. Where, you know, you might hear, I've heard this quote, it's, uh, it's from George Orwell, it says, the most effective way to destroy people is to deny and obliterate their own understanding of their history. And we've heard that. We've heard that from people who have felt like their culture has been oppressed in our own country and they haven't felt comfortable to celebrate their own heritage. So as, as, we, as we hear that and we adapt to it, we ought to think about how that applies to each individual group and how looking back at the past doesn't mean it needs to be pretty. We don't need to look back, you know, and have the past match our rose-colored lenses. We can look back at the past and say, man, we did some stuff that was just not okay today, but it's useful to understand, right? So what should we do? Should we put them in a museum? Should we, you know... Should we knock them down? I, I don't know. I, I imagine that using the regular channels, which 
you know, I assume that that's been working. I've seen initiatives out of out of D.C. to properly process these statues, and I've seen states handling it, removing statues and putting them, you know, whether they want them in museums or not. Um, the federal government, the you know, our public representation, taking action over that essentially public property, you know. So that's that's what I imagine. So you say, okay, well, what's the purpose of these statues, right? Are they supposed to be testaments to the greatness of something maybe people have that in their head they think you know they see you know in in brazil the giant statue of jesus or or they see you know other famous statues throughout history and they say well clearly statues are meant to commemorate something that we want to value uh as being just like this great point in time and i suppose uh that is one thing that we can do with them but uh I honestly do see the value in in being reminded of your own follies and mistakes and challenges and even just blatant travesties. Uh, Seeing that reminder, for me as an individual, I mean, your mileage may vary on this, and I totally respect that, but if I walked past a statue of Robert E. Lee every day, I wouldn't think, wow, what an amazing individual. I'd think... Look, this is this is history. This is something that actually happened. Something that if we choose to forget it, we will repeat it. And destroying and not using the lessons of the past in a positive way makes it to where the only history we would have to remember via these statues is the stuff that passes somebody's purity test. And that is particularly scary from my point of view. I, you know, maybe I'm not the most... Uh, maybe you don't want to listen to someone like me explain something like this, but I worry when I think about people changing the past to affect the present or even more dangerously changing the past to affect the future and those who would learn that past tomorrow. So, you know, when I say, you know, like the founding fathers involvement and benefit from slavery is clearly known like it's it's i mean it's out and out right but the commitment to growth and improvement as individuals and as a country we're not lost on them tearing down the facts of the past to create a different one that more resembles the rhetoric of you know your modern day 1619 project serves to create a world with effectively uh only a past that exists through the lens of modern day communications the past has happened the past is not a fluid thing that should be subject to change. You know, future, we don't know. Our actions now determine the future. Nothing changes the past. And when you when you can control the past in such a way as, you know, changing language, changing the way that we behave in society in a way that people, you know, it's not exactly voluntary, um, you end up creating a present or even a future where all that's left is what the party tells you, you know, the Orwellian party, so to speak. And they're just always right because if there's something that is disagreed with, it just, much like the statues, it'll just be torn down. Or worse, the very language we speak will be changed to push out that kind of conversation. Those words just will stop existing. So as social media continues to pick a side 
for fear of cancellation on these issues, I kind of thought of, I'm, I'm just quoting crazy authors today, but I thought of a Huxley quote. Um, the quote is, people will come to love their oppression, to adore the technologies that undo their capacities to think. Yeah. I think I know what some of those technologies are. You know, I can, I can tell you, you know, it's very easy for me to go have something else create my opinions that I can just say, you know, say when I need them, they're there. I can go look up what am I supposed to think about this so as to not be attacked by people on social media, for example, that determines this, the social norms and the concepts and the levels of critical thinking that are to be used to handle the kind of problem solving we're looking at. These are complicated, nuanced problems that require our absolute best thinkers, our absolute best character to overcome and to result to something as just insipid as social media to allow the ideas that get repeated the most and the ones that seem to have the most backing and social clout become the ones that we act on will change the way that humanity is going forever. And I think we all really need to be prepared for that because confusing, you know, confusing forming your own conclusions for and testing them through public discourse, confusing that with social media and saying something and then seeing if you get clout or if you get hit, uh, it's a fatal mistake to compare the two. And I really think we should be very careful as time goes on. This week begins to show the aftermath of a series of bloody, difficult, dangerous, and uncertain situations. As America struggles to determine the appropriate course of action to resolve these points of contention, we begin asking ourselves questions that many of us have never considered before. What is my party doing? The latest in a series of ridiculous partisan squabbles leaves the average American in the lurch as police continue to walk out of their jobs amidst cries of defund the police. I would postulate that while there are cries to remove $1 billion from the annual budget of the NYPD, most people want to rest assured that their natural rights to life, liberty, and property are not taken by someone with the motive and now opportunity to do so. In an attempt to recover from this latest stressor in a series of demanded reforms, the GOP and DNC have both drafted bills to reform police departments into something more equitable. Here's the breakdown between the proposals. Generally, the language used in the DNC bills render chokeholds, no-knock warrants, and the like illegal, whereas the language used in GOP bills ties funding to the reporting of those actions. Some people believe that perhaps this is too slow in the case of no-knock warrants, which require about uh, uh, annual reporting. At the time of writing, the GOP bill status is DOA from the Senate to the House. They did not allow amendment, discussion, debate, or vote on the issue. I imagine that the GOP Senate will do the same to the Democrats' bill as it arrives from the House. Adapting a quote from Andrew Heaton's episode of Mostly Weekly regarding the FCC, this is the governmental equivalent of a toddler holding their breath when they don't get what they want. What does that mean for you and I? It means that the powerful and moneyed people that are supposed to represent us just put the party politics ahead of the well-being of their constituents yet again.
They can travel with personal security, frequently paid for with federal funds, to ensure that they aren't in danger of the things that they are refusing to pass legislation on. It shows time and time again that these governing bodies aren't working. The bipartisan system that we have allowed to incubate over the years with our own fear and manipulability have come together on one issue, time and time again. Their priorities don't include serving us. I sweat hard for the ones I love. I bleed red American blood for my hopes and dreams. I earn my keep and you can tell that thumb-sucking girly man from California I said so. At the end of the hardest of days defending the values of liberty, freedom, and personal responsibility from those who seek to undermine them, I need a refreshment fit to quench the fires of my self-righteousness. Brother, I need look no further than Liberty Pilsner. From the tap or the bottle, the crisp, refreshing taste of Liberty pairs excellently with 5.56, or even a trusty 9mm. Liberty Pilsner is affordable too. It leaves me with plenty of budget left for the rest of my shopping list. It even got me interested in taking on the outdoors again. Honey, why do we need so much fertilizer? And it rates 12% alcohol by volume, but only 10 calories, so I can watch my figure guilt-free when I get fucking blitzed and ask someone with a similar but hyphenated last name back to my place for a spell. It was hyphenated, I think. What does it matter? Am I being detained? So next time you feel like a refreshing reminder of the price that's paid for your freedom, hold my beer. Liberty Pilsner because the government doesn't need to know why I've got 18 bags of fertilizer. It's the police. Open the door. Get a warrant. Every second that the two parties waste finding new ways to dunk on each other or prevent the other from having a feather in their 2020 campaign cap, American liberty and freedom are sundered and our patience is drawn thin. It is the opinion of this humble broadcaster that Americans should see right through this crap and remind them in 2020 that we have other options. This cycle, we have better representation available than we have seen for many years. Today, we have the incredible privilege to speak with 2020 Libertarian Challenger, Joe Jorgensen. I was born in Illinois, a lot like you. Uh, I guess, except maybe a different part of town, though I don't remember. Moved away when I was three. Uh, but skipping forward, I suppose, because uh, when you when you decided what you were going to be educated in, what drove you towards what drove you towards your educational choices, and what what did you choose? Well, I chose psychology overall, and I've absolutely loved psychology because 
I learn about human behavior, why people do what they do. So that's uh, very helpful for uh, uh, politics. I'd imagine because uh, a lot of people, it seems like they they take these kind of law backgrounds and then they're they're essentially challenging the the onlooker to say that you know I know from a legal standpoint and you're just a layman and people go but wait I could have come to that conclusion in my sleep so <laughs> now now you're now you're kind of pushing up against uh, pushing up against boundaries of knowledge and it doesn't really do so well. People lose a lot of faith that way. So I'm, I'm really interested to see that you, that you've chosen, uh, chosen a background that enables you to reach people rather than, you know, necessarily understand functional bits and challenge people on that. Yeah. Um, and could I, would you mind if I added to that? Of course. Because you're absolutely correct that what we have right now are professional politicians with law backgrounds, legal backgrounds. Even more than that, when our country was founded, what they what their intention was was for the lawmakers to go to uh, D.C., you know, a few months out of the year, whatever, and then go back home and live under those laws. And now they don't do that. The lawmakers we have right now never have to live under the laws that they create. They've got their own separate set of laws. And also, I'd like to point out that as far as the background, my background is more blue collar. My family is more blue collar. And I was the first one, you know, directly who really even went to college. I mean, my dad went to like less than a semester of college and my mother and none of my grandparents went to college. So I'm more of the kind of person who I understand what it's like to live in, um, you know, as a regular person under the laws that they've created. I'm a, I'm a first generation college student too. Uh, funny enough, my, when my father remarried, I, I graduated college before my stepmother started. And, uh, you know, it, it was really kind of funny to look <laughs> back at your own mom going through school and, and going, you know, I know those exact struggles. I've been through them. I know how hard it is to, you know, to cram for a test on top of work at the exact same time. And instead of, you know, looking to your, your parents to help you solve stuff, you look back and you go, I know this. And it, it's, it's definitely a weird angle, but being a, being a first generation college student, uh, you kind of lose, you kind of lose a bit of, uh, of coverage as far as like people knowing what you're getting into. It's, it's uncharted territory. And yep. it's, uh, I think it's, it's, it speaks a lot to the, to the mental resilience of the people involved, uh, to be able to blaze that trail without, you know, without having someone have walked it before you. Oh, absolutely. And not only that, I grew up, as I'm sure you did, under a situation in which you weren't part of the elites. So some of these people who are in their fifth generation of politics, they've got the last name, so now it's their next turn in line. They don't understand how the rest of us are basically at the whims of Congress at whatever law that they want to pass. There's a there's a book I read. Uh, I'm I'm a I'm a pretty big Terry Pratchett fan, and they he, he does this book about like a like a team of watchmen, and one of them has this phrase he always says, and he doesn't really understand what it means, but he keeps saying uh, "quis custodiat ipsos custodes," and uh, and and it's, it's a joke, right? Because he's he's kind of a comedy writer to to a certain extent, and so when you talk about 
when you talk about independent review and, and looking at people who make rules have to follow the rules they make, mm-hmm. uh, he really did a good job of pointing that out. So that phrase kind of stuck with me. Um, so when you, I, I watched you at the debates and, and, you know, in, in the nature of full disclosure and total honesty, um, okay. nobody saw this coming. I mean, I didn't, <laughs> I did I didn't think I'd be sitting across, you know, sitting across the virtual table from Joe Jorgensen, who was, who was a just crazy force of nature for, for, party uh for party membership and for helping people get involved with us and uh and so here we are uh and a lot of people are really impressed with the things that you said about you know you know i i'm i'm in communications i'm in psychology i'm in i'm i'm a person who can communicate our ideals specifically to people who are on the outside and uh <laughs> So my my fiance, her sisters and her friends uh, have basically exclusively voted left since they were voting. And um, they all even they all have expressed how impressed they are with you. Like it's 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 pretty awesome. Uh, You know, maybe maybe they might vote for you. I'm going to keep pushing, you know, but uh... (laughs) And, and I'd like to point out even more than psychology the part of my background that I credit most is my experience in sales and being a small business owner. In other words, when, when, and I did work for IBM in the uh, sales division and these were the large computers before the personal computer was even invented. And I, and and I, yeah. and, And I learned really quick that if I were going to sell a computer, I had to tell the customer what the computer could do for him. Not what I liked about the computer, but what he would like about the computer. And I think libertarians in the past, they've been sending the message of freedom and liberty. And yeah, that's why I'm in the party. But I think we've gotten most of those people. And the other people just need um, an explanation of how liberty can work for them. So just like my computer, I had to explain why having 12 terminals was a great idea. Now I have to explain why having freedom will help you in healthcare, social security, whatever. Yeah, I I actually, you know, when I was looking at your bio, I noticed, uh, I noticed when you said small business owner, uh, is is it okay if I mention the the company name that was referenced on Wikipedia? I'm not sure if you wanted to state it or not. Oh, I'll I'll edit this out. Oh, I'm not sure which company is. Well, I guess I guess if it's on Wikipedia. Uh, well, it mentioned that you you were uh, what was it? You had an ownership stake in in Digitech, and I just wanted to confirm: is that Digitech like the guitar hardware company? No, no. and in fact, uh, we set up a one eight hundred number, and we're very dismayed to get all sorts of uh, calls asking us about guitars. <laughs> we're like, no, different Digitech. Well, we uh, can put that one to bed then, I suppose. Yes, we're we're incorporated in a different state. Um, I wish the state had told us, no, you can't do this because I didn't realize, you know, this was really before the internet was popular. In fact, the, the, the business was software duplication. And as soon as the internet did take over, our business went away. So um, there wasn't the internet to just Google word and see what came up. Instead, we went to our lawyer in South Carolina. They said, nope, nobody's registered under Digitech in South Carolina. Here you can have it. And uh, we found out real quick there was another one. You <laughs> <He> stayed sober, <laughs> a lot bigger than we were. Yeah, I, I I had that same problem picking a name. Like I had to I had to use my name in the show because 
all the other fun nifty things that I had lined up, someone had already done. And I mean, I got specific, so I was there was no there was new no new territory for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so speaking of your ability to reach out to folks and impart to them liberty values in a way that they are willing to accept. I think I, I want to address the the big goal. I, I want to talk about that checkered flag and that tape, right? I want to talk about I want to talk about putting you behind a resolute desk, but in the middle of that is the debates. Mm-hmm. And the first step to that, that's the the hugeness, the insane, amazing thing that would come from just having a third person to go, you both have it wrong. Or <laughs> Yeah. There's bits of you both that are right. Uh, just the, the the ability of that to change the American dialogue is going to be insane. And I'm so behind it, you couldn't possibly mm-hmm. you couldn't possibly convince me otherwise. But I wanted to take the time to ask you about some framing. So okay. <laughs> I I imagine because you know, the people I talk with, I got one who's a big time devil's advocate. I mean, I'll say anything. I could say the sky is blue and you'd be like, are you sure your eyes are fine? And so we worked out some stuff and the general conclusions that we came to is that the left might challenge social bona fides, right? Uh, Essentially the question of charity can't solve homelessness. And I was wondering if you had kind of anything worked out for that, like how, how to get people to understand that, you know, that, that you have a message that is not, is not the same as everyone else's, but it's useful and it has value. Yes, I actually have two examples. And I, you know, I don't have one or two lines, but I don't think one or two sentences is going to convince anybody. Uh, if it were that easy, somebody would have already been convinced. But the first, <laughs> one, but the first one has to do with something that happened in the early '90s. Everybody's heard of United Way, and what happened was the uh, CEO, president of uh, United Way, went out and spent something like four hundred thousand dollars on artwork. Which, by the way, in today's dollars, after government caused inflation, it'd be closer to a million dollars. And what happened was donations dried up. Donors were telling United Way, you know what? We gave our money to help poor people, to help people in need or, you know, temporary assistance. Uh, We did not give you this money for artwork. And so what United Way had to do is they had to work to get those donors back. They had to prove to those donors that, yes, your money is going to the right place. Now, imagine if... As, as what happens, our, we get taxed and our money goes to the government to go into the welfare system to help others. What happens if they have high overhead? They just tax us more. You know, what happens if the, the money goes to special interests or doesn't go to those who truly need it? Again, they just raise taxes. There's no accountability. And something as important as getting money from those who are giving it to those in need, that is such an important task. There has to be accountability. And also, uh, just a really shorter question is: uh, Imagine you had an inheritance. Let's say you know forty. Oh, that'd 000. be nice. Yeah, that'd be nice. And let's say that you're well enough off that your inheritance of now let's say twenty thousand dollars. Let's say you know you say, well, you know what, twenty thousand dollars that'd be really nice, but I don't really need it that much, so. 
I'm going to give it uh, to some, you know, to somebody who needs it more than I do. And you look around, you think, well, maybe my church would be a good place to give it to since churches, uh, you know, usually get it to the people who need it, or maybe a private charity. Um, when you're considering who would best get your money to those in need, would you say, you know, I think I need to give it to a federal government program? I mean, of course not. We all know that the churches and the private organizations will do a much better job than the federal government. I remember, I remember when I left uh, left my college and I started getting bombarded by the uh, by the alumni association for for money, and yeah. I was like, you know, I I don't make enough to to do that even now, you know. But uh, I said if I was gonna if I was gonna give donations that were supposed to help students. Me and my buddies Jackson and Benjamin were gonna roll up, and I was just gonna start throwing paper at everybody. Right? <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna donate to an endowment that puts half of it into some sort of money market or investment scheme, and then end up with only half of that that's available only by grant. Uh, I'm going to go find people I know, their sons and daughters, and I'm gonna. Just, I'm just gonna give them. Just go give them money. You know, it, it seems. It seems that direct action, while Maybe you can't see the large data coming back, and that large data has to do with you know that same idea of you. I mean, you've worked for large companies that you know the idea that KPIs and metrics don't always correlate with actual positive results. Yeah. The way that you measure and get your feedback isn't always accurate enough. So, I'd rather hand out twenties, fifties, and hundos than give right. a couple grand to an endowment. Right. And I and think a lot of people might be the same on that. Yeah, well, and, and now, of course, the school endowment is better than the federal government, but you're correct in that it's still somebody else choosing. But here's the point, is that you should be the one to decide. You should be the one to decide, you know, while others might give to an endowment, personally, I think there's too much overhead going to bureaucracy, so I'm going to give it directly to the people. And, and, and that's the point, is that we should have the choice to do that. To, to decide how much of our money goes to overhead. I do, I do, I do agree with you wholeheartedly. So uh, I'd imagine that, uh, that that would probably be the framing of the arguments from the left. Uh, and the framing of the arguments from the right, I, I've got a guy that I talked to about this. He's, he's the same guy I was telling you about a second ago. He's an amazing strategist. He can take the opposite side of any issue, but we <laughs> couldn't figure this one out. Okay. So I imagine that that you're going to come into contact with what I called vitriol and vicissitudes that would have nothing to do with policy positions, track record, or intrinsic value. And so I'd like to know how you might handle something like a baseless ad hominem or sexist remarks in a debate setting from a president who essentially, for better or worse, speaks in subtweet, like the language he speaks is subtweet. Are you familiar with the concept of a subtweet? I just learned this. Oh, please share. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm probably going to get added for this, but it's okay. Uh, subtweeting to me is, the way I understand it, is something to the extent of you see something on Twitter or in real life, right? And you go somewhere where you know they'll hear you and you just bag on them, but in a way that doesn't directly tie back. So like someone tweets something you disagree with and then you go, instead of replying to them, you like tweet later on, man, some people really need to learn how to talk. And they're like, oh, okay, so you're subtweeting me, right? 
So the way I imagine the president speaking is like he's basically always subtweeting. He'll turn to the person next to him and go, not everyone can be intelligent, it seems, you know, that kind of thing. (laughs) So those kinds of baseless ad hominems, I imagine that I I imagine you're going to run up against them from that side. And I'd like to see personally, I'd love to see somebody be a wonderful, amazing, glowing statesman again. And I know that a lot of Americans look back, like some people will look back at Obama as an amazing statesman, someone who spoke clearly. Uh, a lot of people look back at, at Reagan and say that. I'd love to see someone who could be a shining statesman again. What do you have for that? Well, now that I live in the South, I can simply say, well, bless your heart. <laughs> <laughs> that is a subtweet if I ever heard it. Well, bless in, your heart. Oh, man. Yeah. In fact, um, now now remember, I'm a Midwest girl, but I have been in the South for over 30 years. So, you know, now I'm a Southerner. And what I've learned is that if you live in the South and you want to insult somebody, it doesn't matter what it is, you know, they're ugly, you know, you hate their car, you hate their clothes, whatever, You, uh, their friends, you just say, well, bless his heart. And then you continue with the gossip and it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Just like someone shows up with like a mullet out of an 80s film and you're like, well, bless your heart. Exactly. <laughs> well, oh, bless man. his heart. If that's not the ugliest mullet I've seen in 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Well, I mean, that's that's excellent. I'm, I'm, I'm down for that. <laughs> so um, I have to ask this question. This next question, I, it's, I've, got, I've got too much on the line. So I keep seeing in silly pictures and posts around social media, which, by the way, I'm I like your social media campaign. I think it's quirky and funny. Uh, But one of the uh, one of the things that I'm seeing is that you are a hockey player. Can you tell us more about this? I have friends who are eyeball deep in hockey every day whose biggest pain through COVID-19 was not that they might run the risk of having to care for a family member, but they're not going to know how the penguins are doing. (laughs) I need to know. Well, first of all, I'd like to distinguish between hockey player and hockey fan. I've actually never been much of a hockey fan. In fact, I don't like to, I've only been to one hockey game in my life because if I see people playing hockey, I want to get out there and play it. Uh, I love to watch football. So I don't actually watch hockey. Although, of course, I've got a couple of Blackhawks jerseys. Um, I love to play it. And even then, uh, my website used to say avid hockey player. However, the last time I played was two years ago, uh, around the time of the national convention. And then I decided to run for president, and I've been so busy to get there. So, uh, yeah, I can tell you I'm going to be out there on the rink, like, as soon as the election, after the election is over, I guarantee you I will be on that rink within the next week. <laughs> if it's open by then, they were actually doing reconstruction. But yeah, I just love playing hockey. And, um, you know, mostly, you know, mostly pickup games kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I love playing defense because I just love taking the puck away from other people. <laughs> so maybe that'll put me in a good frame of mind for uh, Trump and Biden. Most sports, I like to play offense, but hockey i don't care so much about making a goal i just want to take the puck away from other people (laughs) i'm gonna make sure my brother hears that he plays and uh he was he was defenseman all all last season i think and uh he he was definitely he had some he had some gripes about it because when he practiced i mean he got good at shooting but the guy the guy is he's a big dude he's a big dude He's, he's scary looking 
and and he plays the job well. And uh, I think I think he'll appreciate hearing that story. So thank you. Yeah. And and by the way, I was on the girls hockey team in high school, but it was field hockey because uh, I went to a small school out in the middle of the cornfields. Uh, you know, we didn't have a hockey rink to play on. <laughs> No, no, I I mean I went I went to school in Orange County and we didn't have it either. Uh we had uh we had field hockey and lacrosse essentially. Right, right. Yeah. So uh now now that I have something amazing to to tell, uh I wanted to take some time if if you're all right with that and let's I just want to throw some some general questions at you that I got. I so one of the greatest places to go to find inspiration for interview questions is the subreddit Ask Reddit. Right. And people ask questions that everybody asks and they're and they're meant to be they're meant to be very open ended. So um, so I wanted to ask you a few of those if you're okay with it. My my first one is. uh, What is your it's 2020. We put a man on the moon, but we can't even blank complaint. Other than electing a a libertarian, obviously. Yeah. My mind immediately goes to healthcare because my uh, one of my my campaign strategists actually came up with something comparing, you know, we we can put a guy on the moon, but we can't pay for healthcare. That's what comes up to my mind. I uh, I said that uh, um, mine is that the USA internet infrastructure falls behind that of many other first world countries and even some developing countries by a lot. Oh. And I'm yes, and and that's very important in your business. Um, I would like to point out, though, I don't want anybody to misconstrue. You know, the, for non-libertarians, I'm not suggesting that the government should offer it. It's not like you know we can put a man on the moon, but we can't, you know, give supposed free health care. No, what I'm saying is, is we can't have a free market system in which doctors compete for our business. I got you. I got you. A lot of people are really, uh, you know, paying for stuff yourself inherently comes with uncertainty. There's, it's unavoidable. It just, it just comes with uncertainty, and that's that's enough to enough to make some people worry a bit. So I, I can understand the position. Well, and and do you mind if I just go off uh, address that? Of course. Okay. Feel free. Okay. Here's the problem: is that we don't have true insurance. In healthcare, we do have true insurance, for instance, in automobile insurance. And yes, people don't know what's expected with their cars, but people pay a fairly low rate for car insurance because the only time the car insurance company is going to pay them is if something unexpected happens, like an accident. The car insurance is not going to pay gas, oil, car washes, and so forth. And if it did, then you could see how there would be absolutely no uh, price, con- well, I say price control, but, but something holding the prices down. Uh, because what would people do? They wouldn't shop around town for the cheapest gas. They'd probably just go to the most expensive gas place because, oh, they're offering free coffee or something. And all you do is you pay a $5 copay. You know, why do I want to go to the cheap place where I've got to pump it myself when I can go to the expensive place? They pump it and they give me a free Starbucks. And, and either way, I pay $5. That's what's happened in our healthcare industry. So that's why health insurance is so high because it's not health insurance. And secondly, um, there are only two fields in health that are somewhat free market, and that is cosmetic surgery and LASIK surgery. And that's because um, 
people directly pay for it, not the insurance companies. So doctors have to compete. Doctors have to offer the best quality or the lowest price or the lowest price for whatever quality because they know that people are shopping around because any money they get to save, uh, they get to keep. So uh, that's, you know, that's the problem with uh, healthcare. And so when you say uncertainty, if we had true health insurance, like we have true car insurance, the health insurance would be low because it would only pay for something unexpected and you would get to shop around for the cheapest physical, um, you know, the cheapest uh, preventative medicine. I actually did some some digging a ways back. I was looking into concepts like uh, the wedge, which was a movement of cash only doctors. And I was looking into um, uh, what actually came up recently, which I'm super stoked about, but I, they've got a local office, I think maybe 20 minutes from me. It's a, it's a place that I don't know what they call themselves. Like the company, I think it's called like forward health or something. I don't know, but it's a, um, you, it's like a kind of like a club, but it's like a general practitioner's health club where you pay and you get access to a GP and the GP has, you know, has to compete on the market okay. against insurance, which is like, how yeah. do you compete against something with fixed prices? And, and but they they leverage a lot of real high tech stuff. Yeah. They don't put limits on how many times you can see a doctor, right? So when you when you do allow the free market in, I think uh, you know the like the price point, for example, I think they wanted a buck fifty a month, right? Oh yeah, no, and and that doesn't surprise me because it is easy to compete with the insurance companies because, you know, what a lot of people don't realize, they think that insurance companies want to hold their costs down. And they do to a degree. Um, you know, they have to care, they have to care about which claims they pay out. But here's the dirty little secret that nobody knows about is they have to pay out more claims than they did the previous year so that the following year they can raise premiums. Because the only way, and exactly, uh, the only Ding. way, yeah, the only way an insurance company grows, becomes larger, becomes more profitable, is to pay out more claims. So that's what they do. Now, again, they just, they can't pay out all the claims, so they'd go broke, but they pay out just enough that they can raise their rates and go bigger. So a lot of people say, well, it's, it's up to the insurance companies to hold down the costs. No, it's in their best interest to raise costs. I, I actually, if I was to talk to, you know, directly to my listeners right now, I would say a great thing for them to go Google is what insurance actuaries do. Just Google uh, that. And prepare for just prepare for a trip that is just utter nightmare fuel. People doing very cruel algebra. People determining exactly what your health is worth with with mathematical models and and how that, that, that it scares me. To me, that's nightmare fuel, man. I don't I don't dream about volcanoes erupting. I dream about I dream about very simple things with, and then they become my nightmares. You know, my nightmares are are more Orwellian than like science fiction necessarily. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know what, since you brought up the point about what your life is worth, and by the way, this is your audience. I, I know I'm your guest, but I would love for you to speak to your audience. So, so thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, I think that Sarah Palin got a bad rap when she talked about uh, single payer health care as having death panels, because if you look at the British system, absolutely 
they have people who make decisions of what is this life worth? And they will make the decision and they ha- they make the decision every day. Okay, this person is old enough that we don't, you know, the, 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 the cost isn't worth keeping this person alive. And we saw this popularized. We saw this in the media with Italy, with the coronavirus. Triage. Yes. And anybody who was over the age of 80 did not receive treatment. They said, we don't have enough beds, enough ventilators, enough hospital beds. If you're over 80, we're just going to put you to the side and go die in this bed. It was absolutely a death uh, panel that did that. Yeah, that's the the cruel algebra thing that I was talking about. I believe that was also another Terry Pratchett coined phrase. Uh, the like like that other one where he the Latin phrase that I mentioned earlier, um, and it is it is horrifying to me. But I can see how under certain conditions you start hitting those walls. Even even private insurance companies would have to do that. At least at least if someone tells you, no, this thing you need to keep you alive is not something we're going to cover. At least you have, you know, there, there's other recourse, right? You, you can, you can sue, you can, you can, you know, it's, it's absolutely terrifying to think about. My heart goes out to people who, who have to fight with that every day. It is the, it is very, very real and it's resulted in a lot of heartbreak, but at least I'd imagine, you know, maybe there's a little bit more recourse in a private, a private environment. Oh yeah. In fact, um, it, I, I, I encourage people to look into Singapore's system. Oh yeah, me too. Where so you've looked into that? Oh yeah. If, do you do you listen to if if you get a second for a podcast? Okay. If you if you do uh, other than mine, of course, because if I was to yeah, you know what I have to do. But uh, um, uh, Andrew Heaton over at the Political Orphanage, he did oh. an episode on fixing healthcare, and he had he always has other people on, and they just they just sometimes they'll wonk out issues and. Yeah, the, he was he was the Singapore camp, and uh, okay. if if you haven't heard of that guy, he worked with Reason Magazine for a while, and and I think he's done a few other things. But the guy is gold. I mean, yeah, he's he's a very well, funny guy. Yeah, well, just to give you numbers, a heart bypass in our country costs a hundred thirty thousand dollars. In Singapore, it costs only $18,000. So you worry about the insurance company, you know, not being able, you know, saying, no, we can't afford it. Heck, $18,000, there are some Americans who could have paid for that. You know, hardly any American has an extra $130,000 lying around. Um, But there are Americans, I mean, $18,000, that's what you spend on a car. So, you know, even, you know, even if your insurance company went against you, um, it would be like buying a car to have high heart bypass. I mean, most, most Americans, uh, you know, like my car is my car. I bought used at 15,000. I still had to take a loan. I I don't, I don't have the the ability to, to flex that much, but you know, if there was some sort of system like that, that allowed people to essentially, borrow conservatively in those kinds of situations where their insurance company goes, nope, sorry, you are not fitting for this. And someone goes, yes, screw it. The banks say I can have it. Right. You know? Exactly. And, 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 and here's the thing. And by the way, and I don't mean to be flip and, and have people say, what's she talking about? I don't have $18,000 sitting around in my checking account. No, over half the American, over half of Americans would have trouble paying for that. But what I'm saying is, is there are many Americans 
who have taken out a loan for an $18,000 car so mm-hmm. or or even more so it's not out of the imagination and and but here's the thing is that the insurance companies would be paying it because the costs are so much lower yeah yeah that's that and some people were claiming i i remember i, I watched an episode of uh, adam ruins was it adam ruins everything where they oh, talked about I love, uh, I love that oh show. man I love that guy. And and he he does an episode on that and he he talks about something called a charge master, right? Which I've asked at hospitals before to see their charge master and they look at me like I'm, you know, some kind of criminal. And uh, so uh, the insurance companies may themselves be inflating those prices. And so people who go, wait, insurance, the way it's built, the very concept of insurance being like a shell game, um, it probably, you know, it, it kind of cuts against the grain of what a free market would be in that, you know, the, oh. the tenets of a free market being, uh, you know, perfect information, voluntary exchange, right? The exchange being voluntary, eh, perfect information, heck no, heck no. I want a menu like a McDonald's. Right, right. And and you bring up a good point because, yes, in a way, insurance goes against the free market. And which is why you only use it for um, catastrophic things or things that are unplanned. You know, just like you would never use insurance for gas and oil, you shouldn't use it for physical exams or teeth cleaning. So that's exactly the point. You make a good point. So do you. I, I find that very, very valid. Um, so during during this how have you have you been handling all these uh these uh, uh lockdown type situations have you have you found any new hobbies gotten better at anything well no because i'm on the campaign trail oh, so well. this, uh this actually didn't slow me down because uh you know, basically it instead of flying on airplanes i got to spend extra time preparing for debates so that was nice um, I mean, I'm not suggesting I'm glad the virus happened. I mean, that, that sounded awful. But, you know, when you when you no, ask no one's going to take it that way. Yeah. Well, good, because um, it better not. It, well, <laughs> thank you, uh, because I've I've said some things that were perfectly innocent. I, I, um, I mentioned about the competition between Steve Jobs and Bill Gates how it's, it was their kind of intense hatred for each other <laughs> that brought about the iPhone. It's because they were each trying to outdo the other. And somebody contacted my campaign and informed me that Tim Cook is the CEO, which I realize he is. But the point I was trying to make was, you know, back in the day when all this innovation was going on. Mm-hmm. So so I've, I've learned that I have to be very careful what I say. But um, Oh, yeah. So- <laughs> I've learned that, too. Just running a podcast to teach you that real quick. So, um, so uh, no, I, all my extra time went into campaigning, and I'm one of the fortunate few who was able to work from home. I, I do teach, and granted, it was a heck of a lot more work than it should have been because I teach larger classes, so I had to teach a class of over 200 people online. Ooh. But I was so happy to do that, and I felt so fortunate because of all the people who lost their job. I mean, tens of millions of people uh, lost their jobs and many of those jobs are gone forever and my heart goes out to them. So I was one of the fortunate few. So yeah, that, that's what I meant by lucky for me is I was fortunate <clears throat> and, and, I, and I still feel fortunate, especially because I love my job and uh, I was able to withstand the COVID pressure. 
we we're still out working. They're still rolling us out where we're going on my nine to five. I although I got into a pretty niche industry. I'm I'm in uh, like HVAC automation. So oh. I, and I I love love what I get to do. So to me, it doesn't feel like it doesn't really feel like for me personally anything changed. But everywhere around me, like places are places have been kind of like I did a job at a at a high school. Right, it was May. There should have been 3,000 people there, and it was a ghost town. You know, yeah. it's definitely things seem very it, different. It, yeah, it, well, yeah, not just different, but eerie. Like, <clears throat> you know, like you said, like, yeah, ghost town. And, and I'm glad to hear you like your job. Uh, just as an aside, I teach a class called Pursuing Happiness uh, for Psychology. And mm -hmm. there's that corny saying that if you love your job, you never work a day in your life. And research supports that. So, oh well, I feel like I work every day, but you know, <laughs> at, at least I enjoy it. <laughs> it it's nice, it, you know. It's it's nice to know that that you know you, you know that feeling you get when every day feels like you have to stretch just a little bit further to stay competent. It's yeah. it's a race with you know the tide falling in behind you, and that's going to sweep you right out. Someone else is going to take your spot, but. When you ride the wave, oh man, is it good? Is it good? You find a way to solve a complex problem and you look like a rock star for 20 minutes and oh, it's so great. It's so great. But it, I think I think as more people go back to work, I, I mean, I follow the markets at least for my own personal investments and things have been looking much better. I'm optimistic. And when people start going back to work, I think, uh, I think, I think the world will be different. Yes. Uh, maybe even forever, mm -hmm. but, uh, I'm confident that it's going to be its own good thing. You know, um, if, uh, if I could ask, I have, I have a final question for you. And of course I want to turn the floor over to you. Anything else that you want to say at any time? I I'm, I've been absolutely ecstatic to be able to hear from you today. So, um, so your selling point for on the fence voters, this is the hardest thing because, you know, as as I'm almost afraid to say his name because I liked him, but other people don't, uh, um, and and sometimes people are really upset. But uh, Gary Johnson and and Bill Weld, when they ran, said right down the middle of America is a six lane superhighway, right? I buy that. I've seen the voting demographics. I know, right? The people who don't have a party make up like triple that that do, mm -hmm. you know, of you know by heartbeat. It's it's something quite amazing and. To folks that everyone's got a thing, a thing, I think, maybe one or two things that turns them off to voting gold. And I wanted to hear what like what you think might get people to consider it. Normal people on the left, right, and then the real hard one if you're ready for this. And I'm when I speak uh when I speak next next week to your uh to your running mate, I'm going to ask him this same question. So from the left, from the right, and from the capital L libertarians, what's your selling point? Well, first, I'd like to back up. You, you had kind of an implied question in there because you pointed out um, about libertarians, uh, you know, something about people being libertarian enough or something to join. Oh, no, uh, no one is. No, no one is. We all know the joke. <laughs> okay. okay. So I wanted to address that first. 
and point out that that's part of our problem is that many libertarians have the attitude of you have to be a 100-100 or you can't be in the party. And I was mentioning how I think we need to let in people who are below 100-100 because once they become familiar with the ideas and hear more arguments, read more, that they will realize that, yes, we need freedom in every aspect. And I was mentioning that at the table uh, at the banquet in Florida at the convention. And somebody at the table said, you know what? When I joined the party, I was 70-70 and I started listening to all the people and all their arguments. And I became a 100-100, and I served two terms on the LNC. So that just goes, you know, so for any of you libertarian doubters out there who think that you have to be a 100-100, no. So the first thing I would do is I would not, to either group, Democrats or Republicans, not present that image that you have to love liberty, that you have to be 100-100 on board to join our party. I'm going out there with a practical message to both sides saying, look, do you think government is too big or too small? And when when I ask people, do you think government is too small? The response I usually get is laughter. And uh, exactly. So my question is, if uh, you don't want bigger government, why are you voting for it? Why are you voting for something you don't want? When it comes to specific issues on the left, I would like to remind people, look, you are the party that was traditionally the party of peace against the war. One of my top three issues is to bring the troops home and turn America into one giant Switzerland, armed and neutral, and not be in everybody else's business. The people on the right, I would point out that, um, you know, health care is a big concern and you're worried about spending. The problem is that the government has health care, you know, has, has taken over, you know, it's been 30 years at least that they have controlled over half of the health care dollars. So a lot of Republicans know what the problem is, they just don't know what the solution is. So I would explain that I have the solution that Donald Trump doesn't have. And to the young people, I would point out that, again, uh, the third of my top three issues is the environment. And the Libertarian Party has the only real solution to reduce carbon um, output and to take the best care of the environment. And of course, I would give them all the details, but my my planks really address both sides. Right on. You know, you mentioned, uh, like you said, make America like Switzerland armed and neutral. Um, just on the off chance, do you, have you have you caught a video game recently? Even I, for a minute. I don't. The last, I, maybe I shouldn't be admitting this. The last video game I played was Croc back in. Uh, oh, that I, is awesome! That, Are you I, kidding? I, that I game was so good. <laughs> yeah. I loved that game. And and, and I introduced it to my sister. We're grown adults, and we we're visiting my mom for Christmas, and we're up to like three, like two grown women up till three o'clock in the morning playing Croc. We both loved it. That's and what's was, up. We, we both had trouble with, I think it was Flibby. Remember Flibby? Oh, I hate Fl Flibby. Sucks. She, she was finally the one to. So, anyway, so now that I've lost all of the gaming voters. <laughs> um, oh, are you kidding? But, Anyone who recognizes Croc, Croc is just enough on the outside, man. Anyone go, Croc? I had that game. That's yeah. so cool. That's exactly like, trust me. Well, um, the, the, uh, 
there's actually a game that came out recently that was about uh, kind of an alternate timeline post-World War II Switzerland sometime in the 80s. Oh, and it goes a lot into the history of their, of their um, social readiness programs and stuff. And, how, and, how, and it was written by people from there. It's called uh, Generation Zero. And I started, started doing that one with friends a little ways back. And it's, it's something really neat. The history it contains is, is uh, very... I didn't know they were like that. I didn't know things were like that. Well, my, my son-in-law is a huge gamer. You know, he's every week he's you know got the headphones where he's talking with all his buddies while they're playing games. So I'll have to ask him about that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, if I'd like to uh, I'd like to lend you my my bullhorn here and give you the opportunity to discuss any any issues that you have, anything you'd like to say to my listeners. Uh, I'm hoping I'm hoping that my listeners now, after hearing from you, can uh, can get behind like like my fiance and her sisters who mm-hmm. who can say, you know, maybe maybe, she, you know, maybe I'm still going to be conflicted about my vote. But this lady here, this is someone like like they believed, you know, this is someone who this is the candidate I've been waiting for. Maybe this is maybe the time that, you know, there's still struggles I have to figure out in my mind, but I've been waiting for this. You know. Yes, I, I would say that with the and and this is what the media calls them, the two old rich white guys really don't offer a choice. If you want a real choice, I'm the only candidate offering you that real choice, bringing the troops home, allowing you to spend your own money instead of turning it over to their special interest to spend it for you, and. Um, I'd like you to visit my website. If I haven't mentioned this yet, I just wanted to point out that right now, over half of my volunteers aren't even libertarians. They're just so happy to see a movement. So my website is joj2020.com. That's joj2020.com. And even we are just surprised, um, ecstatically surprised by the overwhelming support we've gotten from people outside the party looking for something different. We are the only ones offering something different. I don't take this lightly. Like, please don't take this lightly because, uh, I truly believe this. Um, your, your candidacy, uh, I don't care whether it was left, right, center. Uh, I generally tend to vote with my conscience. So I don't have a party alignment per se. Um, and I don't care which party you would have gone for. And and I think that a lot of people are going to start to understand that. I think this might be the year that people's minds start to, as especially you, you make these debates, you, you do this. I need you to do this. This is super important to me. <laughs> so yeah. if you make these guys, people are going to start seeing. People are, there's going to be, there's going to be changes of mind and people are going to go, you know what? It doesn't matter what party she's with. She's awesome. Oh, well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I will work hard to earn that. I've begun a new initiative to offset some of the costs of production and prove the quality of the show for you please consider taking a cruise over to my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Boston Makes the News and take a look at what I can offer if you become a member of my exclusive club. Your kind and generous membership will be used in part to help other shows get off the ground as I am able. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider subscribing on Spotify and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. 
Without your energy, time, and support, this show would be nothing. Thank you for listening. See you next week.